0: Good morning, everybody. Yeah, it really is. So very happy to uh, open up God's Word uh, for you and with you this morning. And uh, I was thinking before I walked out here on the stage uh, uh, about a great scripture in the book of Isaiah, and it it says this. It says, who is so blind as the servant of the Lord? And the image I have is of a a horse with, uh, you know, Are these blinders on either side? But but when you walk with the Lord, something happens and they flip over your eyeballs, and most of our walk in God is we don't actually really know what we're doing. And so if you're a normal person and you generally live with the thought, I haven't any idea what I'm doing, I'm telling you, you may be a candidate for what God wants to do in you and through you. So I don't always know why certain things come to my heart, uh, come to my mind. I just said heart and mind. I, actually, it is heart and mind, in case you were watching. My hands, I should alert you, seem to have a mind of their own or no mind at all. And very often, I have no idea what it is that they're doing. And I, So you just have to decide, listen to me, watch my hands, because there's not a lot of synchronization always going on. But uh, anyway, so this other scripture came to my mind, and I don't know why it's on my mind, but I have learned that rather than insisting on some kind of explanation from God, why are you putting this on my mind, so that I will then decide whether or not you got good enough reasoning for me to share with somebody else, I try to remember that I'm, I'm clueless for Christ. So when he bids me say something, Oh, whatever, Uh I can do this. And I, uh see how easy it is to be a Christ follower? Yeah. So here was the scripture. Excuse me, it's in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, You can find it later. I'm going to quote it to you, but you can find it later. I haven't even gotten to my introduction to the message that I'm going to preach. But don't be afraid. There is a very large clock in the back that lets me know that whether or not I'm done, I am done, okay? so, But uh, the, the scripture goes like this. It's the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul. I mean, he writes big chunks of the New Testament. And he is uh, writing to his friends in Corinth, and he has previously explained to them that when he first came to them, he was like, he was just petrified. He says, I came to you in, in fear and in trembling. So if you've ever wondered, is there something wrong with me when I want to talk to a friend about who Jesus is or when there's maybe a scripture I want to encourage somebody with and you go through all those kind of nervous gyrations, thinking, well, welcome aboard. The Apostle Paul came to these people in fear and in trembling. But now at the end of his second letter that he has written, he says to them, and here's the scripture I'm trying to get to. You can tell I'm one of these slingshot preachers, you know, and if, if you just take a rock and do it, it it's not, I have to go backwards for a long, long, long period of time before I can make any points at all. So anyways, what he says is, I am not uh, the least inferior to the most eminent apostles, <laughs> even though I'm a nobody. He had an understanding that his spiritual spirit and what ultimately he could offer to and give to other people was not based on what a great person he was. But he understood that I, you could class me among the most distinguished apostolic spiritual people, but I know I'm just a nobody. So if you have been having thoughts that, well, what could I really do for the Lord? Or you you look in the mirror like normal people and you're not impressed. By the way, if you do look in the mirror and you are impressed, we do have counseling, right, and prayer available for you because there is something going on inside that that probably should get out. But if you've had thoughts that I don't amount to much, Or if you think in terms of your own soul, that I'm I'm dealing with a pretty big deficit here and I don't really think that God could use me. Uh, That verse is for you. And I want to tell you that God is a specialist in picking people who don't think too highly of themselves. So if... I'm just offering that. I don't know who you are, but I believe it's for you. Okay, did I already say good morning? Good, well, okay, then we'll just get right on to our Bible text. If you do have a Bible with you, I know they're going to put it on the screen, we're going to come to the last chapter of the Gospel of John, John chapter 21. And over the course of what we'll be reading this morning, we're going to hear a very peculiar detail we're going to be told that that Peter and his friends catch 153 fish. Now I have been reading the Bible for a long, long, long time and when you're old like I am, you can put together any number of longs in a statement like that and people believe you. So I've been reading the Bible for a long, long, long time And though I don't have any formal uh, theological training or anything like that, which is probably already apparent to you, but never mind, um, I, I have learned about the Gospels that there's two things you really want to pay attention to. One is what we call the context, the, the, the stuff that's gone on before the little episode that you read and the stuff that goes on afterwards, that, that that if you if you hang on to those things while you're reading this, you'll understand what you're reading a little bit better. But the other thing about the Gospels is that so much of the story is in the details. Now, why on earth do we know that 153, not, a hun- not more than 100, not nah, approximately 160, no, no, 153 fish, why is that important? And I hope to answer that uh, for you this morning. Okay, now to set the context so that we're so going to start to read here in just a little bit, uh, this is going to be the third time after Christ's resurrection that he has been in communication with and talking with uh, his disciples. And and so he's raised from the dead. They have already encountered him two previous times, but we come to what I believe is the one thing. You know, the pastor invited me to speak on the one thing, and I thought, okay, sure. And then I quickly realized I have about 100 one things. Uh, but... I don't get that much time. So the one thing, and this was the passage that came to my mind. So if you don't mind, we're going to read a little bit, and then I'm just going to offer some thoughts. We'll read a little more and uh, work our way through. But in order to do that, I have to put on my trusty spectacles. Okay, here we are, beginning in verse 1. Now, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Canaan in Galilee, uh, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we'll we'll come also with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Seven of Jesus' disciples end up going fishing. Now, when I read my Bible, I love to put myself in the story. Uh, I do like to fish, by the way, but but that's not the part that I'm putting myself in. I'm thinking what it must have been like for these disciples, who for the previous three three and a half years, every morning when they wake up, they don't have to wonder what's God's will for my life. They don't have to say, Lord, I ask you to just show me what's going on. They wherever Jesus went, they just went. It was not complicated. Just, they follow. They follow, they follow. They don't have to pray about what God has for their future because Jesus had said to them, the foxes have places to go, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a home and your home is wherever I am. That's why it wasn't that complicated when he said, follow me. They're like, oh, well, now, what exactly does that mean? No, it's pretty clear. Is that my Christian witness? No, follow me, right? So we just walk together. Now, they have gone from an everyday experience with Jesus all the time. They're just with him. But suddenly, and, you know, we love, hallelujah, the resurrection, but, but see it from the viewpoint of these poor disciples before Jesus died and rose from the dead, they were with him every day. And they didn't have these long lapses of, What do you want me to do, O oh Lord? They followed him, and when he had something for them to do, he sent them off to go and do. And after they were done doing, where do you think they went? They came right back to him. It was not complicated. But I see myself in this story because I do believe in Christ. I do receive him and accept him as the risen Savior. I believe I'm going to go to heaven. I believe that he is who he says that he is. But can I just tell you, any given day, it doesn't necessarily help me know what to do. So the disciples went from day by day by day leading To now, only an occasional when Christ shows up, and they have no idea when he's going to show up. So, the reason that Peter and these other guys don't know what to do, and so they default to going and doing what they think well, at least I'll go fishing. I don't know what to do with myself. And have you ever, as a sincere Jesus follower, had the sense that well, you just wish somebody would tell you God's will for your life you know people who are smart write books that say discover God's will for your life because even though they cannot answer that question, they know that people like you and me are suckers enough will buy it in just the hope that maybe somebody has an answer <laughs> So the disciples are, hmm I don't know what to do? Now, Peter, who apparently is the most initiating of all these people, he says, well, uh, I'm going to go fishing. And isn't it interesting, six others of his buddies say, oh, yeah, good idea, me too. (laughs) One person with a thought about what he or she is going to do, and oh, my goodness, suddenly they have a following. And friend, I want to just remind you, that though you think that your decisions, as I do, my decisions, they only affect me, so what does it really matter? Trust me on this. When you and I make a decision, we're going to do this, we're not going to do that. We who have been intended by God to gather and to collect the nations and to say to people who are far off and lost, there, you come on, come with me, and I will take you to the one who changed my life that when we make a decision to do a or not to do a we gather a following and at least for me that's that's pretty sobering because it's not just me throwing away my life or wasting my time i am likely inducing others to follow in my footsteps so they decide to go fishing and now we pick up the story oh all night they caught they caught nothing so when the when the day <laughs> Yeah, that's the bummer part of the story. Okay, but when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, and yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus therefore said to them, children, you don't have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no, no. And so he said to them, well, cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. And so they cast, therefore, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Now, how many uh, fishermen do we, or fisher peoples do we have out here who enjoy fishing? Yeah. So, you know, it's weird. I, I travel a lot. I'm always asking churches, how many of you are fi- I, Almost nobody ever says yes. I guess the fishermen are not in church, right? They're out fishing. Okay. <laughs> I just kind of put that together. You can tell I'm a quick study. I get all this. Well, if you, if you have fished and you're hauling in a lot, And some joker, you know, on their boat or from the shore says, Hey, man, you caught anything? If you have a lot of fish, there is no question you enjoy quite so much. Absolutely, yeah, i got a whole lot of fish. Uh, But if you've caught nothing, and some jerk asks you, Have you caught any fish? This is not a question that you want to have answered. So Jesus, you know, and they can't make the. It's early morning and things are a little misty and they're trying to see. And somebody says, have you caught any fish? And their response is, well, no. And then when he says, go ahead and cast your net on the other side, they've got nothing to lose. (laughs) So they do that. And oh, my goodness, there are so many fish. They can hardly haul these things back into the boat. Now when I put myself in this story, I I acknowledge there are some times when it is the Lord, when Jesus is saying or or doing things in my life, but I I don't always know that it's him. And it reminds me of another wonderful passage. It's it's in the book of Job, chapter number escapes me, but it's left-hand page, right-hand column about half of the way down. (laughs) Which, by the way, is why I stick with a paper Bible. You might think, oh, poor old man, he's really an old man, isn't he? No, the reason I do, it's a memory aid, because I don't always remember the numbers, but where I spilled coffee and all of that. oh, I, yeah, it's right below the coffee drip of, on that page. But this is now this man, Job. And he says this, he says, he says, I go forward, but I, I can't see you. And and I and I go backwards, and I I I, I don't know where you are. But then he says, "But this one thing I do know. You see me." My oldest son is a is is a quiet quiet man. I have four kids my wife, and, and somebody had to be quiet in our family. Okay. Uh, he's the quiet one, my wife also. The rest of us, as you could probably tell, and I'm not even the most whatever of our family. And you know how uh, still people, quiet people, can sometimes get lost in the fray. And when my son turned uh, 16, you know, we had a big party for him. And I wasn't planning on saying this, and I wasn't planning on saying it this morning. But my comment to him on his 16th birthday was to say to him, Son, I have never lost sight of you. I'm your father. Most of us grow up in a world where we are obscured, where who we are seems unknown. And in fact, many people in their early, early days in their family who hoped to look into the mirror that their parents were supposed to be to show themselves to themselves because of tragedy, mistake, etc., uh, they didn't get a good look at themselves. And I have found in my many years of pastoring that that uh, sense of not being known, of not being important enough for anybody to pay attention to, that that carries over into uh, your, your relationship with God and even your sense of what God could and would do through you. And what Job understood is, and and we have a case of it here, that even when I don't know what I'm supposed to do, I don't have to be figuring out where Jesus is going to be on the lake, and Peter didn't have some inside track like, yeah, I know he's going to be at the lake, so I'm going to go fishing. God attends to you. And so there he is on the shore and the guys don't really know who it is but they're looking for any you know hint on how to fish they throw their net in and they catch a lot and this is where the story starts for me at least to get really interesting okay so that disciple therefore whom Jesus loved. Well, he loved all of them. This is the writer John, and he didn't really want to, you know, then I did this amazing thing. So he says, the the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on because he was stripped down for working and fishing and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little boat, for they weren't that far off from land, about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And so when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, fish placed on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Okay, now as a a pastor, a Bible teacher, if I say something that I cannot substantiate with Scripture, I will always tell people. And I'm now going to tell you that I cannot prove what I am about to say, but actually you can't disprove it, So, and I'm up here and you're down there. No, uh, <laughs> There isn't a verse that will come right out and say this, but I hope if I can to pull together a couple of verses that will make sense to you why I believe what I'm going to tell you about this and how we knew there were 153 fish. And to do that, I have to remind you about who Peter was. Now, Simon Peter was not a particularly um, religiously oriented person. The first time that we encounter him, he is not standing amongst the people saying, oh, Lord, teach me more. He's the guy, he's the the charter boat captain. Jesus stepped into his boat, remember this, and said, can I borrow your boat? Very clever. He stepped in at first and then asked, do you mind if I borrow it? Because the Lord knows us, and if we ask ahead of time, we'll always say, well, no, maybe another time. So he doesn't usually ask. He just barges in our life, and and what are you going to do? How do you get him out the boat? And uh, so, but 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 Peter had this encounter with with the Lord, and after his boat began to sink, you know, because he had so many fish in it and things like that, and Peter's like, he's he's looking at Jesus and at all these fish flopping all over. He looks at Jesus again, more fish flopping. Jesus again, and he comes to this masterful conclusion. He's he's like, Duh, whoa. <laughs> You're like a holy man. And Jesus said, yeah, that's right. But it's what Peter says next that interests me. He, he, he quickly wanted to push Jesus away. He said, oh, my goodness, you're a holy man. Did, did you realize I'm not? And you go back and read the passage. He says to him, you better get away from me as fast as you can because I can single-handedly ruin any holy man's reputation. I'm bad, you're good, the two don't mix, you better get away. And what did Jesus basically say back to Peter? Well, it doesn't really matter what you've been, I'm trashing your whole life anyway and we're starting over. (laughs) Peter never forgot that Christ embraced him when he was still a bad man. And that's why then some years later, And not that long before this episode, you remember it was Peter who said to Jesus, I don't care. The rest of these jokers can desert you. Not me. I'm your man till the end. And it doesn't matter what they try to do to me. I will never deny you because you chose not to deny me when I was the worst of the worst. I am with you to the end. And Jesus said, Peter, thank you. I've prayed for you because Satan has already demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And you are going to end up going the wrong direction. But when you get turned around again, I want you, literal expression, to resolutely turn others in the right direction. In other words, Peter, you're going to blow it. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to do what you never, ever thought you would do as a Christian man. But when you get turned around, recognize that a whole lot of other people also need to be kind of, uh, what would we say, framed up a little bit. They need to be secured. All of us are wobbling our way forward and to have men and women who understand what it is to be as frail as all the rest of us, reach around and say, I've been there, and I want you now, walk the way that I have learned to walk. Jesus prophesied that Simon was going to deny him and prayed for the aftermath in Peter's life. So even though Peter thought, I will never desert you, right? Right? Jesus knew he was going to, no surprise. But I don't think Peter has quite gotten over what a failure he was. Now, this is my theory, which I cannot prove, but I offer to you. Since... Jesus has only appeared to the disciples two previous times. And, you know, Peter wanted a private word with the Lord. He wanted to say, hey, you know about that denial stuff? Are, are we okay now? I mean, you know, I really am sorry, right? I, I, I don't know. It came over me. Could, forgive me, please. huh?" There hadn't been an opportunity. And I think Peter is still wrestling with his sense of personal failure. And I think he's wondering if things are okay between us. I mean, I, yeah, I know I'm the guy that kind of stepped away, but is there any way, Lord, we could get back to that close connection with each other? And this big looming betrayal is standing between Peter and Christ. So when. His friend says, it's the Lord. That's why I think Peter dives in the water. The boat wasn't that far away, but I think Peter wants to get there before anybody else so he can say to Jesus, I'm really sorry. So imagine what this must have been like. I mean, Peter is swimming. He gets out of the shores He's like and the boat, you know, comes up not that long after fish are everywhere, Peter still, and all the disciples get out and what do they see? A barbecue. Fish already on the barbecue. Bread on the barbecue. And then, Jesus says the strangest thing. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, bring some of the fish you've now caught. Jesus doesn't need any fish. There's already fish on the barbecue. If Jesus wants fish, he doesn't even have to fish. He just like fish. Now, on the barbie. And they jump out of the water, sp- fillet themselves, lay out on the barbecue. He's the resurrected Christ. He doesn't need their stinking fish. And do you think? Oh, yeah, well, I, 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 I caught these fish myself. What a joke. Jesus told them exactly what to do so they would have fish that they have now caught. He doesn't need our stuff, our things. He's the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. you think he's going to talk to you if he wants a burger? And even though that might feel to you like he's, I don't need you, it is among the most profound realizations that you and I can come to that nothing I have did I come by with my own uh, smarts or agency or hard work. There isn't anything that Jesus might be interested in that owes itself to me. He's the one that showed me how to do this so that what I have came from him. And now he's saying, Go ahead and bring some of the fish that I actually showed you how to. But he's too nice. It's like many years ago, my father you know, would give each of us kids at Christmas time uh, like $20, and that was us to buy gifts for everybody in our, in our family. And my dad was a sucker for peanut brittle. And that was in those days, I don't know, 99 cents for a bag of peanut brittle. And I was always so proud of myself when I bought peanut brittle with my dad's money, (laughs) wrapped it up, and gave it to him on Christmas. And he always acted like, oh, wow, oh, wow, peanut brittle. Who would have thought? That is the best picture I can offer you of how God deals with us. He gives us stuff that he then says, really, that would be fine. Go ahead and bring it. There's actually no room on the barbie for any of the fish that you and I bring. But we're not supposed to kind of put two and two together. We're supposed to feel included. We're supposed to feel like, oh, well, well I would love to help you, Lord. And Peter, remember, he's, my theory, he's, are, are, are we okay? And Jesus says, I want fish. And I think Peter's like, Oh, okay, okay, okay. You want fish? I'll get you fish. I'll get you fish. And he's going over, grabbing these fish, sincerely, kind of wanting to make it up to Jesus. So he says, You want fish? I'll get you fish. And he's counting them 151, 152, 153. And if you want more, Lord, I'll get you more. And I see myself in that story because it is so difficult to to really embrace this grace and goodness and forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. And so when I have done something I'm not supposed to do, when I have thought things, I want to try to make it up to the Lord. And so you and I try to figure out, well, what is it that he really wants? And maybe I can accommodate or, or make up for something that's happened by really, really giving him what he wants. So if you want fish, I'll get you fish. Well, they eat breakfast in silence, as yeah, we will read I mean, who's going to say anything, right? (laughs) Okay. So Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him. Well, who, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. So Jesus came and took the bread and gave them and the fish likewise. And this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And now we continue. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Simon said, yes. And Jesus, uh, and then so Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. And Jesus said to Peter again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Simon said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, shepherd My sheep. And Jesus then said to him the third time, Simon, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? And so Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. The one thing, not fish. But imagine what Peter must have felt when Jesus now addresses him and it's all of his fear coming out, do you love me? And I think Peter thought that Jesus doubted whether he loved him. Uh, be, because of what he'd done, the mistake that he'd made. Do, do, do you love me? And he's like, oh, yes, Lord. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Do you love me more than me? these? Yeah, 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 yeah. You want, you want, want fish? I'll give you fish. And when Jesus said, tend my lambs, he's like, okay, sheep. I'll do sheep. Forget the fish. I'll do sheep. <laughs> yes, 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 whatever you want. And do you notice in your own experience, when you have walked a wayward path, when you have drifted into things that you should not drift into, and then when God brings you back, when you get turned back around, have you noticed this eager, Lord, whatever you want? That's what Peter was feeling. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. Okay, okay. Then he asked him a second time, do you love me? (laughs) Yes, 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 Lord. You know that I love you. And I can hear a little, don't you? You know that I love you. And Jesus essentially says the same thing. I want you to have a role in other people's lives. And I would say, by and large, where where the church at large has missed the one thing, is that we have forgotten that the great, uh, the great battle, the great uh, enterprise that we have been invited to be a part of as the body of Christ is not really to just be able to present myself before the Lord. Okay, I acknowledge that's a battle for all of us to kind of keep walking in the way of God. But that's just the beginning the ultimate call on every single person's life is that we would assume and accept a measure of responsibility for the growth and the development of other believers. It isn't an accident that when Jesus says to Peter, okay, I understand You want to resolve this issue once and for all, and you have made a mistake. I understand that. And I'm now wanting to give you, as it were, the secret to continuing to to just live for Christ, even when on occasion you and I think or do things that we're not supposed to think. If your Christian view is is wrapped up and contained in just whether or not I am doing okay in the Lord. And if your concern is primarily or exclusively about your own spiritual development, okay, that's a good beginning. But if your Christian life is all about you trying to be good and make it and so forth, it is, and I don't say this unkindly, but it is inadequate, and you will go up and down on the perpetual roller coaster every time making a mistake, oh, no, 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 and then as you get older and become a, quote, quote, mature Christian, you just confess your sin less, that's all, and Jesus wants you and me to have a way to stay focused on the thing that he does need from us, that we would tend to others, that we would shepherd others. And then Jesus asks him a third time. And, you know, we could say, well, he denied him three times, so he got asked three times. And people who know the Greek language, which I certainly uh, do not, they will make a distinction between the kind of loves and everything. Yeah, okay, great, whatever. I still think it had to be awfully <laughs> unsettling to poor Peter. And we get a hint as to why he's so unsettled because when Jesus says, do you love me? And he's like, yeah, Lord, you know all things. So you know that I love you (gasps) unless maybe I don't. Because if you know all things and there's doubt in your mind, question in your mind, whether or not I love you, Perhaps I should reconsider whether or not I love you. And it fits right in with what Peter had been so worried about that his mistake had irreparably damaged his relationship with Christ. And Jesus, in asking him the third time, of course he knew that Peter loved him. Jesus had prophesied that Peter would make this huge mistake. Jesus isn't unsettled by that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of me and maybe of you as well. You know, when you do things you're not supposed to do, and maybe it was a long time ago for you. For me, it's fairly regular and recent. But anyway, um, then after you realize, okay, I don't want to do that anymore, you come and you tell the Lord, okay, Lord, really, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, if you just forgive me, I'll never, ever do it again. Any of you tried that? Well, it's kind of ridiculous if you think about it because what today is Sunday, uh, so yesterday was Saturday when whatever, and I'll never do it again. But God sees the future. He's watching you do it next Friday. (laughs) So when you say, really, I'll never, ever, ever do it again, who are you trying to convince? You're trying to convince yourself that I am not ultimately as bad as the evidence would demonstrate. And I know that as a bad man, probably I can't receive your mercy, so I've got to get up on my tiptoes and be as good as I can be so that I'm good enough in my badness to be forgiven by you. Nonsense. We don't make promises to God. God makes promises to us. Jesus was not questioning Peter's devotion. He was channeling it. I mean, good for us that we do is the least bad stuff that we can do. Bravo, good for us. But that isn't what Jesus said. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Then you better never do again what you just did. Oh, okay, okay. No. Do you love me? I know you're going to continue to make mistakes. I don't really need your fish. But I'm going to the Father. And I'm not going to be here. You see how I haven't been here for you each and every day, I'm not going to be there to all the people who need a shepherd and need someone to think about them and take care of them. Peter, if you love me, give your life to thinking about and caring for others. Well, the story ends with a, with a very peculiar episode i'm just going to finish with this i'm going to read two more verses and then see if i can't make sense out of them for all of us so we're now in verse 18 of john 21 Uh, truly jesus is speaking to peter i say to you that when you were younger you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wanted But when you grow old, when you mature, etc., you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you don't want to go. Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken to this to them, he said, follow me. Now I understand that can be a little scary. You think, okay, if I say, Lord, have your way in my life, you're going to get crucified. Well, how I understand that, I mean, yes, you will, but you're dying anyway, so, right? How I understand this is that Jesus is trying to describe spiritual progression and growth. And when you are young in the Lord, you're just like a baby believer. This is so great, hallelujah. And you still have this funny idea that we're steeped in in our country that, you know, we're self-made people and nobody tells me what to do. I go where I want to go because, you know, all that stuff. It's not exactly a biblical idea, but it's, it's good politics. So when I grow, In relation to Christ I increasingly surrender my own right to decide what I'm gonna do and where I'm going to go I place myself in the hands of the Lord and that very often places me in the hands of humans and it is true That when you and I say to Jesus you can have my life do with me whatever you want we end up in situations that would not necessarily have been our first choice but what I want to say to you is that not all of those not first choices are difficult and bad things when I made this decision in in November of, of 1970 when my first year at the university and God got a hold of me in a way I I just can't hardly describe and I knew I wanted to live for him I've still made so many mistakes over the years but I have been been focused on this Lord I want my life to count for you and where I have ended up in my life as a result of that kind of free fall, like a leaf in a strong wind that finally lets go of the limb and then is just blown all over the places, when you say, Jesus, I'll go do whatever, you end up in the most extraordinary situations. Sometimes, yes, in the hands of people who will, well, do you harm but to know that I am tending to sheep and thinking about others, not just myself. This is the great secret of the kingdom. And the people who are the most fired up and the most enthused in God that remain that way for a long period of time are always those who remember the one thing that Jesus said, go and make disciples. God bless you. Let's pray, can we? Lord, thank you for your wonderful word to us, your word contained in the scriptures that we can each read. Thank you that you want to speak to us, Lord, you want to lead us and guide us in the way that we should go. And so this morning, freshly, Lord, I myself, and I presume many others, want to say to you, Lord, not my will be done, not my agenda, not my plan, but Lord, let it be yours, your will, your plan, And show me, dear Jesus, those that I could add to, those that I could shepherd, those that I could tend for your sake and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.